Welcome to the Humanizing Work Mailbag, where we answer questions from the Humanizing Work community. If you have a question you've been noodling on, email us at mailbag at humanizingwork.com and we'll see if we've got a good answer for you. Before we jump into today's episode, just a quick reminder to rate and review the Humanizing Work Show in your podcast app. Or if you're following us on YouTube, please subscribe, like, and share today's episode if you find it valuable to you. Your help spreading the word is super meaningful to us. And on to this episode, a client reached out to us to ask about Agile success surveys. He was curious, can you trust the statistics? And how should we even think about success and failure and our chances for success? Um, this client linked to a web page that was a summary of various surveys on the topic as an example. Um, so here's our answer to how to think about agile success rates and surveys and such. Uh, I'm deeply skeptical of any of these studies. There's just too many variables, too many slippery concepts to do anything like a clean study that could draw rigorous conclusions. Just on the surface, how the researchers define agile, waterfall, success, uh, those are going to skew the results at best and beg the question at worst. For example, if you define success the way the Standish group does, which is often the standard used by these studies, um, well, let's see what they say. They say a successful project is one that meets the assumed schedule, cost, and scope. A challenged project meets two out of the three constraints and schedule, cost, or scope is not met. A failed project is one that is canceled before it's completed or is completed but not used. So if you use that definition of success, you end up really measuring how accurately you predicted the future, not whether your initiative achieved meaningful business results and or had positive long-term effects for the organization, um, let alone the people involved. And that's just the most basic question of what's success. Try to be any more nuanced in your study and it gets even worse. Now, you can believe some of the more trivial conclusions in these studies. For example, do a large majority of companies practice something today that they call agile? Almost certainly. Are they talking about the same thing? Almost certainly not. When people ask us questions about these studies, usually they're really asking, what are the chances we can expect to be successful with an Agile approach? And that's a question more like, what are the chances I'll be successful with such and such a diet or workout program? And for questions like that, even the best studies can only give you a sense of whether anyone has been successful. This can be good inspiration to start your own experiment, and it can caution you about which experiments you should avoid. But it's important to dig further. What made the successful example successful? What made the failures fail? Do I have the attributes that correlate to success or to failure? Then if that research causes you to hypothesize that you have a chance at being successful, it's an experimental problem because you're in the complex domain. So try something in a small, safe way to see if your hypothesis is valid, which typically means some kind of pilot team. And in a previous episode, we talked about how to choose a pilot team if you want to do this kind of experiment. And we'll link to that episode in the show notes. Uh, Peter, I know you did some work to try to measure the success of Agile adoption when you, you were at Adobe. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, and in fact, the pattern that you just described for how to get into it, where we pick a pilot team and then expand from there, 
Apparently, I was following your advice, your advice even 17 years ago, Richard, because that's what we did Way as to well. Go past Peter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, the team that I was uh, program manager for adopted Scrum and found some success with it, and then other teams started to get interested in it. And then it, Scrum and Agile approaches started to spread in the organization around that time. And a few years into that, I was curious whether all of these teams that I had worked with and trained, whether they were actually using the things that I had taught them and whether it was working for them. I didn't want to teach things that weren't actually working in a broad context. And so I started sending out a survey and, and the survey had a few different components to it. Uh, one component was measuring what parts of Scrum they were actually using, these different practices and things like that. Uh, there was a little bit in that around more general agile practices outside of Scrum as well. And then the second component of the survey was whether the individuals responding felt like it was working well for them. Were these agile techniques serving them and their customers and uh, their teams? And I ended up publishing a lot of this data in, a, in an article for the IEEE Journal of System Sciences. And uh, one of the things that was interesting about that is you know, even publishing that data and surveying about it, I realized data about whether Scrum is working is not that influential. So just measuring if people were using it and liking it was, was not convincing outside of the people that understood what Scrum was. So the other thing that I did at Adobe was I started looking for things that teams were measuring before they adopted Scrum that I believed should improve after adopt, adopting it. And at Adobe, I found three examples of that. Uh, one of the things that almost every team at Adobe was tracking was defect rates. I mean, how many bugs are we finding and fixing in the software? Uh, and my hypothesis was that that should get a lot better, that we should see fewer open defects. And that turned out to be true. And so I was able to publish some of that data. Uh, another one is that there were a few teams that were tracking uh, customer net promoter score for their products before they adopted Scrum and continued to do it after they adopted Scrum. And there, not every team that was, was uh, adopting Scrum was doing this, but a few of them were. And it was interesting to note that all of the teams that were tracking it saw a, a marked improvement in their net promoter score after adopting Scrum. And in at least a couple of cases, like really significant differences. The third thing was less quantitative and, uh, quantitative and more qualitative. And that's that the idea of like, how much overtime do you work at the end of a release when you're trying to get the thing out of the door? Uh, and since Adobe's products were mostly being built by full-time employees and not contractors, we weren't really tracking things like overtime. But I do remember towards the end of a cycle when our team was out, you know, kind of having a leisurely lunch and looking at another team that I knew was working 60, 80 hour weeks to get something out the door, that team was one of the first ones to adopt Scrum after ours because they were saying, how is that team not working crazy hours right now? So looking for things like that was super useful to us. Going back to this idea of um, what are we actually measuring that you mentioned before, Richard, when I ask people and when you and I both have asked people how they measure the successful agile adoptions, we usually hear answers that highlight kind of one of three categories of a goal or an outcome for agile. The first one, and we hear this from a ton of Agile coaches, is that Agile is successful if employees, if team members are more engaged, if they're finding more meaning in their work, if they're collaborating more effectively. Kind of a human focus from that one. Uh, other people that we talk to mention, you know, Agile is successful if the business is getting positive benefits. We're more successful at whatever our business does. 
And then the third one is an interesting one. It's like, we're successful if we're doing it, <laughs> like kind of a process and structure measure. Uh, and often uh, at the root of that is we want more predictability. We want more consistency across the teams. And I think that in different ways, all three of these are important. And most of us have a bias towards one or two of the three and against one or two of the three as being important. So when I think about measuring effectiveness, I think it's probably worth examining our own blind spots to which of those categories kind of bugs me a little bit. And I don't think that matters that much because there are probably stakeholders that do care about that. And if I overlook it or even talk down on it, that's likely to, to have a negative impact on how effectively we can adopt uh, these types of techniques. The other factor I would consider is that things like net, net promoter score are really convincing. Net, net promoter score went up 30 points after we adopted Scrum. That's pretty convincing, but it's also a really lagging indicator. And so the other thing I think it, that it's important to do is to look for the leading indicators and start measuring those until you can get the better data. Yeah. And for that, I think you have to see enough teams to start knowing what's correlated with the positive lagging indicators. Um, I, I know we've done some work capturing sets of uh, habits that we see on successful agile teams and how those roll up into kind of coherent strategies to produce particular outcomes, like actually delivering anything reliably or um, delivering value. Uh, interacting with and understanding customers and like that sort of thing. And so as we look for what are the practices or um, you know, what are structural factors like team composition, if you've got a fully cross-functional team, um, that's an early indicator that like the right people are on this team, you have a better chance of success. Or we see habits like vertical slicing and frequently getting to done that's a clue you're probably delivering more value and seeing more feedback probably going to lead to those lagging indicators or behaviors like interacting directly with customers and um, explicitly forming hypotheses to test that suggests you're going to be iterating your way towards more customer value so once you've seen now hundreds of teams like we have you, you start to see certain structural factors behaviors practices habits correlate to the positive outcomes and we start watching for those on a team and it's not definitive you can have a team that has a lot of those things and doesn't produce good outcomes and you can have teams that produce good outcomes without some of those factors correlation is not causation but there is definitely some strong patterns in the correlation there yeah so to summarize if you want to measure your agile adoption start by getting clear on the goals for that agile adoption in the first place and remember, different stakeholders probably value human, business, and process benefits differently. And since the best data will take a long time to get, look for leading indicators that you can measure until you can get that better data. And back to the original question, take those big industry surveys on the success of Agile with a grain of salt, even if they tell you the result you want. Even when the research methodology is good, which is rare, how they define key concepts like success and Agile may be very different from the Agile you're considering and the success you're hoping for. We hope you found this answer helpful. Uh, let us know in the comments if you're watching on YouTube what uh, ways that you've measured success and any other ideas related to this topic. And like and share the video if you found it useful and be sure to subscribe to our channel to get notified when we post new videos like this in the future.